Well, good morning, Sayville Church. You guys doing good this morning? Well, if you have a Bible, you can open them up to Ephesians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in both of them starting in Hebrews, or sorry, starting in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in our series of revealing the blessings of all of these gifts that God has laid out for us in this one giant run-on sentence that Paul gives us in the beginning of Ephesians. And if you remember, these gifts started with gifts that are from eternity past. So you think of chosen and predestination. And then the past couple of weeks, we moved forward to gifts that were for the here and now, that being adoption, acceptance, redemption, forgiveness. And today, we're going to be looking at a gift that is looking forward to the future. Okay, and this is the gift. It was supposed to be back in this box, have this epic reveal, but uh, we forgot to put it back. So here it is. <laughs> it is the gift of our inheritance. And when we think of our future inheritance as Christians, we oftentimes think of heaven, right? And you'd be right in thinking that way because that is what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on our eternal future inheritance with God for forever. But let me say something about inheritance because when we think of inheritance, or, or most of you will know that an inheritance is not something you can work for, right? It's given to you as a gift when your parents pass away. They leave you an inheritance, some sort of wealth. Now, I'm the youngest of 10 kids, so I don't think I'm going to be getting left with much at all with my dad. I don't know what he's got in store for me. Maybe some socks. Not quite sure. But the same is true with our inheritance with Christ. You don't work for it, right? It's a gift. But the interesting thing about this is that oftentimes when we think of someone inheriting a great amount of wealth without working for it, we think of them as lazy, right? We've all heard of the lottery winners, right, that they inherit millions and millions of dollars. And what's the first thing they usually say they're going to do? When I win the lottery, I'm going to go quit my job. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Unfortunately, I, I do think that there are a lot of Christians, or at least so-called Christians, maybe even here in this room, that have quit their spiritual jobs because of their future inheritance. It's this mindset that says, hey, praise the Lord. Last week, by the grace of God alone, I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am saved, and now all I need to do is just ride out my time here on earth. Right? And i got to make it comfortable, avoid all the pressures of life as much as I can, avoid suffering, avoid trials, avoid risks, until I can get to my reward one day. And so the question I want to answer this morning with you guys is the question, does a Christian's future inheritance really lead to that kind of lifestyle? Or maybe even a better question is, is it even possible for someone to claim to have this inheritance while trying to comfortably ride out their time here on earth? And spoiler alert, I think the answer to that question is no. I don't think it's possible. And that is why I've titled the message here this morning, An Inheritance That Motivates. 
because that is what our inheritance does. It motivates us. And I want us to see that from the text. So let's look at the text in Ephesians, and we're going to be picking it up in verse 9 through verse 12. And these first two verses are a little bit of review of some of these other gifts that we have in front of us. I was just talking to uh, Curtis, our young adults director, and he's like, man, these gifts, there's just so much. Like, you could just, they're just, sometimes they go over my head, and I'm trying to think, like, man, what is going on here? And that's because these are all extremely deep, deep, true, theologically rich truths that are, it takes a long time for us to really understand what's going on with them, right? So it's good to do some review, right? So let's do that. Look at verse 9 with me, and we're going to buzz through this first, these first two verses here. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will, and this is a reminder of his adoption, okay? And I'm not saying that because I have some, you know, secret knowledge to the mysteries of God's will. It's a lot less dramatic than that. Paul just tells us two chapters later. In Ephesians 3, he literally, he just says, the mystery of God's will is this gift of adopting orphan Gentiles into the family, okay? So, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. No, I love that, those two words, his good pleasure, Another translation says, his kind intentions. So this is a reminder of the gifts of God's grace and God's love. God is saying, it is my good pleasure. It is my delight to adopt you into my family. Right? You're not the last kid picked on the kickball team, right? Like, oh, I got stuck with this guy over here? I don't want him. No, God's saying, it is my good intentions. It is my good pleasure. It is my delight to adopt you, to bring you into the fold of my family. So according to his good pleasure, moving on, which he set forth in him regarding his plan for the fullness of time. And that word time right there, in the Greek, literally means a manager or an administrator of a household, which means that throughout the seasons of time, because that's what that word, the fullness of time, is kind of getting at. It's getting at the seasons of time, so past, present, and future. For all of the seasons of time, God's plan was not this whimsical decision just kind of made on the fly, like something happened over here, so I'm going to react to it and go this way. That's not what happens, right? Open theism, if you're familiar with the term, is not biblical. In, rea in reality, rather, God is infinitely thoughtful in the events he allows to happen throughout history. He's very thoughtful about this. The fullness of time He's thinking through this. So really, we don't have time, but you could throw up the gift of providence up here because that's what this is talking about. And going on with that thought, Paul continues. He says, to bring together all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And Paul is saying that all of these things that ever existed, whether they are seen or unseen, all throughout history, they are all moving towards a day where everything will be brought together under Christ, where the Prince of Peace will rule. 
and there will be no more injustice, no more pain, and no more evil. So I was just looking at these verses this, the other day while I'm studying, and I'm going, I'm like counting probably like five or six messages you could preach just out of those verses right there, right? And if we did that, we'd have this whole place filled, and we really wouldn't get out of this sentence until 2022. So we're not doing that. I told you we're buzzing through that, but you see the logical flow of Paul here, right? He's trying to get us to see when you've been graciously adopted into the family of the king of kings, The king of kings has adopted you into his family. The logical flow is you now have an inheritance, a holy, awesome inheritance, right? See that? Queen Elizabeth called you up one day and said, hey, Harry's out. I want you. We're adopting you into the family. After the original shock, it might dawn on you in the next couple days, wait a minute, I got a pretty sweet inheritance coming my way, right? So this is what Paul's getting at here. We've been adopted, or if you've been adopted, you have an inheritance. Verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So here we come to our gift, the gift of of inheritance. And what I want to do is take a little bit of a deep dive into what this inheritance is. And we can get a lot of a lot out of what this inheritance is out of our text and elsewhere. And so that's what we're going to do and I'm going to give you five descriptions as to what this inheritance is. And the first one is probably the most obvious. Um, but it's a it's one that oftentimes I don't think Christians think about a lot. Uh, And I think it's a really big deal. And that is that this inheritance is in Christ, right? I mean, we see this all throughout these verses. It's right there in our text again. But elsewhere, Paul goes out of his way, just in this sentence right here, goes out of his way three times to show us that all of these gifts, and specifically inheritance, we see that at the end of verse 12, are for the praise of his glory. His glory. So we're thinking about our future inheritance. We're thinking about heaven. And what this means is that the the grounding of all your joy and pleasure that you will experience in heaven, and what I mean by grounding is the source Right? So the source of where all of your enjoyment of heaven is going to spring out of, your joy, your pleasure, that will all be grounded in not gold streets, not in big mansions or meeting the heroes of the faith or not even in seeing your loved ones. You will experience those pleasures in heaven and they will be absolutely amazing. But if I can be honest, I cringe at times when I hear people, and specifically Christians, who talk in such a way that they think their source of joy is going to come from other humans in heaven. I love you, but it's not. It won't. The grounding, the source of where all of your 
satisfaction, your pleasure, your enjoyment will spring out of is in Christ, right? Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. The grounding of your joy and your pleasure for your inheritance is not in who or what is around you. It is in what is before you, right? It is the Lamb who was slain. That's where our focus is going to be at in heaven. That's where our focus is going to be at. We're going to be like the angels in Revelation 5 who say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. This is where our focus is going to be. This inheritance is in Christ. Peter also outside of our text, gives us some amazing descriptions of inheritance. He gives us actually three, and this is what he says in 1 Peter 1. Look at, these, look at these verses with me. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what's Peter trying to say here? What what do those three words mean? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Is that just like Peter's way of trying to sound smart? And so he's just throwing a bunch of synonyms out there that all mean the same thing, right? Because maybe he's hearing the rumors that he's the dumb apostle. So I'll write this down. It'll be good. They'll think this is real good. I don't think so. I don't think that that's what Peter is getting at. I think that each of these words are incredibly rich with deep truth. So look at them with me. He says that our inheritance is imperishable. It is not able to be destroyed. As long as God is God, your inheritance is not going anywhere. Amen? He also says it's undefiled. And this may be my favorite description here. It's uncorrupted by sin. Now think about this. In your head right now, think of the sin that you struggle with the most. The sin that frustrates you to no end. The sin that at times makes you just want to give up. Now look back at that word. Undefiled. This future inheritance is unpolluted by sin. Christians, there will be a day where you will not only not act on these sins, but you won't even desire them anymore. Isn't that amazing? There will be a day where your desires will be perfectly set on the lamb. You will not desire or act on prideful thoughts. You will not desire lust. You will never look at a brother or sister in Christ with envy in your heart. Rather, you will be able to love with the perfect love that the Lamb has loved you with. 
And if you're looking forward to that day, can I get an amen? amen. I know I am. Undefiled. It's also unfading. You know, one of the most com- common objections uh, that people have when they don't want to go to heaven is that they think that the joy will fade away. The joy of heaven is just going to fade away someday, right? I mean, it's like, I'm all for the universe's greatest concert, but if it's going to last for eternity, I don't really know if I just want to sing for all that time. Like, it's just not something I really want to do. And of course, Peter is saying here that that is a caricature of our inheritance because he calls it unfading. The joys of this inheritance are unfading. You know, I often hear people say that they think when you get to heaven, you're going to know everything. Um, and I don't believe that. I, I, I truly believe that for all eternity, we will joyfully dig into the infinitely deep well of God's rich glory, his rich knowledge, and we will enjoy that forever. Paul himself would say, just in the next chapter in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Paul says, in the coming ages he might show, and I think that that shows that this is a progressive revealing of God's grace. I think that is amazing. Something that we will enjoy and love for all of eternity. Your inheritance is unfading because all eternity will be a joyful learning experience of how amazing God is. And the next day, he's going to show you how he's even better. And the next day, it's going to be even better than that. It'll never fade. You'll never get sick of this God. You'll wake up, you won't sleep, but whenever you do, every second you're going to go, God's amazing. This is so cool. And Jonathan Edwards would agree with me. He says that the saints will be progressive in knowledge for all of eternity. I love that. That is very interesting. And the last description, and and the most important, is that this inheritance is ours. And we're getting that from the context of our text, which is verse 14, where it says, the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about next week, is the guarantee of our inheritance. And I point that out because some of you can't say that about this inheritance. Some of you can't say with a clear conscience that you know that this inheritance is yours. You couldn't look back on these descriptions and go, amen. You can't look at them and rejoice and go, this is my future because this inheritance is not yours. You are still on the outside of the family And if that's the case, then I encourage you, think back to the other gift, even just last week of redemption and forgiveness, and realize that it's only through the blood of the Lamb, looking at the Lamb, where you will be able to find forgiveness and redemption from your sins that you desperately need and want redemption from, and only then will you be able to say that this inheritance is yours. And I don't think I need to wait till the end of the message to ask you and plead with you, those who have not done this, to accept this truth. Be saved. 
Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done for you on the cross. He's offering you an eternal inheritance. Be saved. Accept it. And if you do, you can say with David in Psalm 16, 6, surely I have a delightful inheritance. But while all these descriptions of our inheritance are truly amazing, we love them, we thank God for them, the question that we posed at the beginning has still not been answered, right? Does a Christian's future inheritance really lead to a lazy, ineffectual lifestyle here on earth? Is that what happens? I don't think so. And for the rest of the time, let me give you three examples straight out of Hebrews 11 that will show that when a Christian focuses on their future inheritance, it radically motivates them here on earth. So let's go there. Look at Hebrews 11. I'm going to give you three of them. The first one is from Abraham. Verses 8 and 9 in chapter 11 of Hebrews is that Abraham was motivated to live on mission by focusing on his future inheritance. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he, called, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So think about this with me. Abraham, for Abraham, the reality of this gracious inheritance instinctively motivated him to joyfully obey the one who had given him the inheritance. Right? Did you follow that? I'll say it again. For Abraham, the reality of the gracious inheritance instinctively motivated him to joyfully obey the one who had given him the inheritance. And I'm, I'm specifically using words like gracious and instinctively motivated and joyfully obedient because anytime, think about this, anytime that someone gives you a gift that is inexplicably gracious, like your inheritance, it is your instinctive response to joyfully obey, to joyfully go, to joyfully serve, to joyfully submit to whoever gave you that gift. If you were an orphan in an abusive home, horrible home, and there was a billionaire that walked miles and miles, the trek was horrible, walked miles and miles just to get to your home. And he walked in, and he took one step in, and he looked at you, and he pointed at you and said, I want you in my family. I'm going to adopt you, and everything that I have will be yours one day. Follow me. What do you think the response, what do you think your response would be to the long walk home? I'll tell you what it won't be. It's not going to be, oh, we got to walk all the way there? 
No, it's going to be, oh, thank you so much. You have freed me from a home that is abusive. It's enslaved me. It hates me. And you're taking me out of this home. You are adopting me into your loving family, into your loving arms. And everything I have, all of your riches will be mine one day, will be mine. That is so gracious. And all you're telling me to do is just follow you? I will joyfully follow you. I will joyfully submit to you. I will joyfully go. Why? Because to obey, to serve, to go, to submit is the natural response of a gracious gift. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew 25 that if joyful obedience isn't your response to this gift, then that's actually evidence that you're not his follower and that this inheritance isn't yours. Look at these words straight out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. But then look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. So let me ask the question again. Is it even possible for someone to claim this inheritance while living a purely lazy spiritual lifestyle? According to Jesus, the answer is no. When God saves you, when God adopts you, you are resurrected from the dead. You are born again. Your life changes. Your desires change change. God has made you and is making you into a new creation. And all of a sudden, yours, your desires don't seem as attractive as God's desires. And an instinctive motivation for you is to live on mission. So ask yourself that question. How are you living on mission, Christians? How are you living on mission, those who may not be Christians? And you're thinking, maybe it's not real. The second example is from Moses. And that's in verse 24 and 25. Moses was motivated to flee from sin by focusing on his future inheritance. And this is what 24 and 25 in Hebrews 11 says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And we learn in the next verse, which we'll get to in a minute, that the reason he was able to flee from this sin is because he was looking towards his reward. And this is huge, huge for me. Listen, Moses realized that the pleasures of this world are fleeting, and so he was looking to a greater pleasure. And this is just, this is probably one of the biggest things in my Christian walk is realizing that God is not 
calling you to this gritted out, miserable lifestyle. Don't chase after pleasure. He's doing the opposite. God is saying, chase after your most pleasurable life, which is not found in the world. All of those pleasures are fleeting. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They're going to leave you wanting. I won't. I am that water that will satisfy you for all of eternity. Your greatest pleasure is not found in the world. It is found in Christ. I think the way this works practically is just the other day I was, I was running around and I had this sinful thought just like plaguing my brain. And have you ever been there? Um, couldn't get it out. And as I was thinking about this message, it was a couple weeks ago, so I was just thinking about inheritance. And it hit me. The pleasures of this world are fleeting. My inheritance is unfading. So why am I wasting my time Chasing after something I know is not the most pleasurable thing for me. Why am I doing that? And so in that moment, I decided, no, I want to be like Moses right now. I want to be like Moses and choose Christ over these fleeting sins that I know aren't going to satisfy me. And in that moment, the thought went away. I'm not saying that always happens, right? Because we you guys have been there before. But I do think that that is a very practical way to think about your future inheritance and how that dramatically motivates you to live differently here on earth. And I think that is exactly what Moses had in mind when he chose to run from sin and run to Christ. And the last example is just the very next two verses for Moses again. And it is that Moses was motivated to chase after Christ, not comfort, by focusing on his future inheritance. Verse 26 and 27 say, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. That last part I read out of the NIV, because I love the way he puts that. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I want you to look at the verse. If you have it in front of you, look at it. Stare at verse 26 and think about this with me. Moses considered that suffering for the sake of Christ was more valuable than the treasures of Egypt. Moses considered that suffering, actual, real suffering for the sake of Christ was more valuable than the treasures in Egypt. Who thinks like that? Have you ever watched a documentary about Egypt back in the day? There's a lot of treasure there. Who thinks like that? Moses considered that suffering for the sake of Christ was more valuable than the treasures in Egypt. I was sitting, studying in my kitchen, just having my laptop right at my kitchen counter, and I was just wrecked by this verse. I am so not there yet. I want to be, though, and I want you to want to be there as well. But don't miss the connection with your inheritance. Look at the verse again. Keep your eyes on the verse. How? was Moses 
motivated to do something so crazy, like choose suffering over the comforts of Egypt. Why would he do that? How did he do that? End of verse 26. For he was looking to his reward. I dare you to go home and just stare at that verse this afternoon. It may change your life. I think America's biggest idol is still the idol of comfort, in my opinion. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. We don't want to take a risk. And I think that we would all probably struggle with that idol to one degree or another. And I do think that the prayer on the lips of every American Christian should be, Oh God, oh Lord, help me understand the motivating glory of our future reward in such a way that I would joyfully give up the comforts of my life just to have more of Christ. My heart wants to be there. I'm so stuck in this world. God help me. This inheritance is truly a blessing. It is amazing. It is glorious. But like I said before, it is only for those who are in the family of Christ. Some of you are still not in the family of Christ. Some of you are outside of that. You're still orphans in an abusive home. You are orphans in the home of the world that hates you. The world hates you. Your flesh hates you. Satan hates you. They're not good. Don't let, it, don't let them lie to you and think that this is the good life. They hate you. They are an abusive home. And Jesus is at the door of your house looking at you and saying, I want you. I want you in my family. I want to adopt you. I want to take you out of this abusive home and bring you into a home with the creator of who created you and loved you so much. I want you, and I will give you everything that I have. All that I have will be yours. He's giving us his inheritance, and he's asking us, would you follow me? Would you get up out of the house and follow me? And that's my question for those of you who are still outside of the family of Christ. Will you recognize and realize you are an orphan in an abusive and hateful world that does not love you? And will you realize that Jesus is standing at your door saying, I want you. I'm here to give you life. Would you come to me and follow me? Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that for anyone whose spirit may be being provoked right now, Lord, I just pray that they wouldn't fight it. And I pray that they would follow you. Lord, I pray that scales would fall from their eyes and that they would be able to see you as irresistible. And I pray that scales would fall from the eyes of Christians as well when it comes to our inheritance because we just can't understand this the way that we should. Lord, help us to understand how amazing and rich and motivating this inheritance is and help us to go out and live on mission wherever we go. We love you in your son's name. Amen.